This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Breaking Math fans. First, I want to thank you for listening. I have an important message for everyone. You can start your own podcast right now with Anchor. Anchor lets you create and distribute your own podcast. Just get an idea, record, and upload. It's just that easy. Anyone can do it. I'm on my way to accomplishing my dream, and you can too. Just get on your device's app store and download Anchor. It contains everything you need to make a podcast. With Anchor, you can put your podcast on all the big platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Reach the whole world with Anchor. Best of all, Anchor is free. You have nothing to lose with a free platform. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Sophia, and you're listening to a Breaking Math Problem episode. You may have noticed that we have the P1 label. Uh, This episode is called P1 Piano Edition, and it's an experimental format. Um, Most of our stuff, we work on a whole topic. For example, for Venn formulas, we talk about elitism in math. But uh, today, we're going to talk specifically about piano's axioms, and more specifically, how to prove that n plus m equals m plus n. Before we get into all that, we have our guest on, and it is my mom again, Diane Baca. Hello. You read the Wikipedia page, and you said it was kind of dense. Um, yeah, because it looked like it was calculus-based or set-based or something, and it just was a little intimidating for somebody like me who doesn't have a whole lot of math in their background. Oh, yeah, and set theory is something that's really simple. Um, it's just a collection of things, or like, in a way, it's a collection of things. It's, it, it generalizes the idea of a collection of things. Mm-hmm. But um, can I just say what I think is funny? Sure. It's mathy. It's so mathy to say n plus m equals m plus n because um, it feels like everybody knows that n plus m equals m plus n. Okay, which I think is always funny that math people need to prove things like, you know, n plus m equals m plus n because it seems so obvious. Yeah, I mean, all of math is kind of like, and science was uh, an attempt to say that the world is maybe not so obvious. I mean, ideas are tested by experiment. And math is kind of like ideas are tested by ideas. But first, let's do some plugs. Um, You could go to Patreon and patreon.com slash breaking math. And you could could join our uh, poster tier on there. And we'll give you a poster. If you don't want to uh, support us monthly and you just want a poster, you could go to facebook.com slash breaking math podcast. And on our store, you could buy our poster for $22.46. And that's pie to the E dollars plus uh, shipping and handling. I think it's $12.50 right now, but uh, we're working on getting that down. And our Twitter is at BreakingMathPod, and our website is BreakingMathPodcast.com. 
So yeah, the piano axioms, it, it, all of math isn't exactly like that. This is specifically formalism that we're talking about today. And it was in, it was in the early 1800s. It was, um, it was an attempt to reduce math to a series of symbols and a series of rules that govern those symbols. And it's been shown by Gödel that it is impossible to do this with the integers. So piano's axioms don't actually describe all the integers. Like they don't describe all the things that integers can do. There are things that are true about piano's numbers that cannot be proven in first order logic or second order logic. Oh, okay. Okay. So what's first order logic and second order logic? A first order logic is like if then that kind of thing. Second order logic is like given a collection of things. So for example, first order logic might be like um, for all sandwiches, for all sandwiches, the middle of the sandwich is not the bread of the sandwich or something dumb like that. How about if it rains, then you're wet. If your rains, if it rains and you're outside, then you're wet. Okay, that, that works. But a second order logic is like saying, given all the rainy days that can exist, there are a, there are perfect umbrellas for each one of those uh, rainy things. So it's like talking about a whole set instead of just the individual variables. It's like, oh, okay. it's okay. like running instead of standing. Uh, okay. I think I get it then. So and it'll become more obvious as stuff goes on. Okay. So basically like set notation, like we're talking about a group of things, but the individuals within the group, is that kind of? Yeah. Like, um, well, for example, the axiom of induction, which we'll get into is second order logic. Okay. Are you going to put this up on the website to like have like, you should have like a step-by-step thing on the website to just show this particular proof just alone. Yeah, actually, if you go to breakingmathpodcast.com slash papers.html, you can find uh, all this there. So we're going to start with the axioms. And the first one is uh, very simple. And you're going to be like, what? Is uh, zero is a natural number. Okay. That's the only one that we actually define is zero. Simply because we need to say that nothing exists and we need a symbol for that? Well, we have to start somewhere. Because the natural numbers, before we, actually, we should probably talk about those. The, well, the natural na- numbers are 0, 1, 2, all the way to infinity. I thought natural numbers were 1 to infinity and whole numbers that contain 0. Um, that is a really old definition. I think it's like 70, 80 years old. Uh, really? Like, I mean... I just taught it last week. No, yeah. I mean, it's the yeah, natural numbers, it really doesn't matter if it starts at 0 or 1. The original natural numbers, they started at 1. Uh, now they are usually taught starting at zero. Okay. So it honestly doesn't matter. Either way, we just needed to define zero. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's useful to define addition, as we'll see in a second. So for all natural... This is the axiom number two, and we're going to go through all ten. Okay. For all natural numbers, x, x equals x. Wait, before we go through this, might be helpful. I'm just curious. Did we already say this? We're going to go through all ten rules, mm-hmm. all ten axioms. Yeah. An axiom is like a rule, yes? An axiom is a foundational concept. Okay. So, for example, these are just things that, that you can't argue that are taken as literal truth, so and then you build the system from these axioms. Piano wanted okay. to do this because he was trying to explain how to work with integers? Well, not necessarily just how to work with integers, but... So, in a formal system such as this, a, a proof is derived from the axioms. The axioms are... Uh, the axioms are manipulated together and you derive what's called a sentence from the axioms and a sentence is the same thing as a proof so if you arrive at something 
then you have proven it. Okay. Now, there's two properties that a, a system can have. In an axiomatic system, something can be complete or it can be uh, consistent, uh, but it can't be both if it's sufficiently complex. So if it's complete, that means that it describes all the properties. Consistent means that you can't prove that false equals true. Okay. Because if you could f- prove false equals true, you could derive any proof. So if the, so, like, like if if for example, like the piano's axioms could be combined in some way, which they wouldn't be uh, consistent, which is false. It's been they've been proven to be consistent uh, with logic outside of the axioms by necessity. Um, that means that uh, there are there are certain theorems that cannot be proven from the axioms. Okay, but they just need the axioms in order to build this system of explanation or proof. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I want to get across too is that formalism is no longer a very big con- like a very big uh, goal for math. At the time, it was thought that math could be described using just axioms completely. Um, and basically, Godel's, Godel's incompleteness theorem, which we talked about, it, is that uh, basically the system can either be co- um, complete or it could be consistent, but it can't be both. And of course, an, an inconsistent system is more useless than an incomplete system. Okay. Because then it doesn't prove anything. Okay. And also, so now we're going to parse the... Um, th- th- what I said was obviously, for all natural numbers, x, x equals x. So just what to, we're going to be using no, talking like this for a while. So we want to discuss what it means. Um, for all something, there is a condition. Means like uh, you could say something like for all fish, for all fish x, x has gills. Okay, basically, it's just describing it. Uh huh. And you could there, the opposite of for all is uh, does not exist. So for all fish, wings do not exist. So. Let's say your statement is for all fish. That's probably mine was not probably a good example. <laughs> well, I mean, for all fish X, X has wings. The opposite of that is for every for uh, there exists a fish, such such as the fish does not have wings. This is first order logic. Okay. And also, and second of all, we said for all natural numbers X, X equals X, but we can make that even simpler by saying for all X x is a natural number implies that x equals x okay actually i like that better yeah but it's a lot longer so you just say for all natural numbers x so for all for all people x x has a head for all fish that that's a true statement right yes for all fish fish have uh lungs is an untrue statement agreed but there exists a fish with lungs such that a fish has lungs is true. Yes. And those two are not opposite statements because the opposite of a true statement can't be false. So the opposite of the other one would be of the incorrect statement. Uh, no, for all fish, fish have lungs. I feel like it's sort of the rectangle square thing. Or like, I mean, no, it would be that there does not exist a fish that has lungs. But sorry, continue. Okay, for me, it feels like we're talking about the rectangle square thing. Like all squares are rectangles, but I mean... All rectangles are not squares, kind of thing. It's related to that. So, I mean, just to get the subtle distinction, uh, the, the, there's a true statement. There's a false statement for all fish. Fish have lungs. There's the opposite of that statement, which is uh, there exists a fish such as the fish does not have lungs. Then there's a uh, then there's the. But that um, one's true too. Um, that one's true. The first one is false. All fish have lungs. Right. Yeah, that's false. The the opposite of that is some fish do, don't have lungs, 
which is true, which can be written as there exists a fish X such that X has lungs. Yes. And then you have the completely different statements. There exists a fish with lungs. Okay. And, uh, there, uh, and for all, and which is true. And the opposite of that is all fish don't have lungs, which is false. Exactly. So you can see the subtle distinction between those four. Okay. All right. So X equals X. That seems pretty obvious, but we have to define it. Otherwise we don't know what equals one. Okay. All right. Next one. Number three. For all natural numbers, X and Y, X equals Y means Y equals X. Okay. So like for, for so if two equals so two plus three equals three plus two means three plus two equals two plus three it's reflexive basically exactly it makes sense yeah and then we have a uh, basically the, the, the uh transitive property of equality so for x y and z x equals y and y equals z means x equals z of course yeah so if i'm the same age as taft and taft is the same age as leonidas then i'm the same age as leonidas sure for all natural numbers x, this is the this is the next one. If y equals x, then y is a natural number. Because x is a natural number, so therefore y is a natural number. Yeah. Yeah, all natural uh, everything that's equal to a natural number is a natural number. Okay. Then the next one defines the, what's called the successor function. For all natural numbers x, the successor of x is a natural number. So the successor function is just plus one. Exactly. So the successor of 23 is? 24. Successor of zero is? One. And we're not dealing with negative numbers, right? So we're just in the natural numbers, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Either way. I mean, either way is plus one, but still. So the next one says that if we have two natural numbers, they're equal if and only if the successors are equal. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So like if we know that uh, like... Two numbers like are followed by the same number. They're the same number. Yeah, I mean, but basically you're just like five is equal to five, then six is equal to six. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Sure. For all natural numbers, X, the successor of X is not zero. That would make sense because even if X were zero, then the successor would be one. Yeah, because like the successor of negative one could be said to be zero, but negative one is not a natural number. Exactly. And the last one is, uh, and all these so far have all been first order logic. This last one is going to be second order logic. And it says, for a given set K, if zero is in K, and for all natural numbers X, if X is in K, implies that successor of X is in K, then all natural numbers are in K. So let me break that down a little bit. So we have, we have a, a, let me explain how induction is used first. And then, uh, explain how this uh, this describes it. So if we want to prove that all dominoes fall over if you topple the first domino, uh-huh. um, how would we prove that using induction? You would say if the second one falls over when the first one hits it, then... Well, we start only with the first one. Well, if we tip the... Well, but, but it has to have an action after it, yes? Oh, yeah. Well, but we'll see. That's the second part. So... The... Oh, so if we tip the first domino over and it knocks the second one over... Almost, but even more elementary than that. Okay, go ahead. So the statement is all dominoes fall over if we tip the first one over, right? Oh, so we need to say if we tip the first one over. So does the first domino fall over, yes or no? Yeah, because we tipped it. Exactly. Oh, if we tip the first one over, then it falls? Yeah. Okay, got it. Now let's say that the nth domino falls over. Okay. Uh, The action that that has is to 
knock down the n plus first domino. Yes. Therefore, all dominoes fall. Okay. So basically, it's saying that if you could show that the first one um, is true, and that for any one that you pick, that the next one will be true based on that one being true, then all of them are true. Okay. And dominoes really helped me um, figure that out. You so, never really considered the case where the dominoes weren't close enough, and so the domino fell and it hit the ground, and then it did not get over. Well, a property of the, uh, of one of the axioms in our domino uh, little universe is that the is that dominoes knock over dominoes invariably. Oh, okay, and that they're equidistant from each other, so that you set them the right distance apart, they're definitely not going to have that space to fall. Well, that would be implementing implementing the axiom in something else, embedding it. Oh, okay. So for that would ensure that the axioms are followed, but um, it's a correlation. It's a homeomorphism. Basically, in other words, you're just saying if you tip over the domino, it will fall, and therefore, if you tip over the first one, it'll fall because it's tipped over. If the second, if the nth one is tipped over, then the next one will fall over. Therefore, all of them fall. Got it. Okay. And so let's look at the definition again. For a given set K, if zero is in K, and for all natural numbers X, if X is in K implies that the successor of X is in K, then all natural numbers are in K. Yes. So K here is the statement. So it, let's say if any, if, if some number is in K then it means that domino number n falls over. So zero is in K because the zero domino does fall over because of the tipping property. Mm-hmm. And uh, if n is in K, that means that the nth domino uh, fall, fell over, right? Yeah. Which means that the n plus first domino fell over, which means that n plus one is in K. Therefore, all of the natural numbers are in K, which translates to all uh, dominoes fell over. Interesting. I don't. I feel like it's pretty easy to understand without the domino analogy. Personally, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm thinking it's too easy. Like, in other words, basically you have a set K, K contains X, X has already been defined as a natural number. And we're saying that X plus one is also in the set. So therefore, well, let's do a little bit more of a complex example then maybe okay. that'll drive it home. Okay. So the sum of one to N is N times N plus one all over two, right? Oh my gosh, that was a big old huge jump. But yes, I do know that. I gave that to you when you were seven. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> okay. But um, I gave that to you to solve. <laughs> Figure out this formula. Anyway, or create the formula, I think I gave it to you. Anyway. It was done on many paper plates. <laughs> but um, let's test out this formula with the first natural number, which is zero, right? Uh, yes. So n times n plus one over two is zero times one over two, right? Exactly. Which is zero. Of course. Is zero the sum of all natural numbers up to zero? Yes. Yeah, so it works for zero, right? Yeah. So now let's suppose that the sum up to n is equal to our formula, right? Okay. So this is the sum of all numbers up to n, right? Okay. So how do, the next term, we would have to add n plus one to that. Yes. And if we uh, if we do that, then the whole thing factors into n plus 1 times n plus 2 over 2. Right. Which is equal to n plus 1 times n plus 1 plus 1 over 2. Right. Which is our formula for n plus 1. Right. Therefore, the formula, therefore it describes the next number. And therefore, we have proven that the, uh, indu- that by induction, that this formula is valid. Okay. Okay. And here, k is a set of natural numbers. Uh, it's a k is a set of numbers such that 1 plus dot 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 to n is equal to our formula. So that is how we define K. Okay.
But we're not going to define K in all of these. We're just going to use the intuitive way of doing it. I just wanted to drive home that it is possible using second order logic to define uh, induction. So now let's define addition real quick because we're going to prove that N plus N equals N plus M, right? Yes. So we have to define addition. So, and these are the only, the last two definitions that we have. So for all natural numbers, N, N plus zero equals N. Uh-huh. That seems pretty self-explanatory. Sure, that's identity. And for all natural numbers, M and N, M plus a successor of N is equal to the successor of quantity M plus N. Okay. So like two plus three is equal to two plus two plus one is what it's saying. Okay. So, and, and uh, that, that's useful for addition because let's say we're doing two plus two, right? Wait, wait, can you say that again? So let, let me do it with two plus two. Wait, but do the do the M plus N thing again. M plus a successor of N. Which is, is e going to be N plus one. No, no, M plus a successor of N. Yeah, isn't the successor of N, N plus one? Oh, I, you said the whole thing was N plus one. Oh, no, no, I meant that. I meant like M plus N plus one. Is a successor of M plus N. Oh, okay. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, like, so in use of our addition, because let's say we're doing two plus two, right? Okay. Two is the successor of one, right? Yes. So two plus two is the successor of two plus one. Now let's do two plus one. Two plus one is equals to two plus is the successor of two plus zero. Yes, yes, yes. And then so the Go successor. Go forwards. Of, hmm? Go forward. Yeah, and then we're going forward now that we're down to this. Oh, I see. Okay. And then successor, we have the the successor of 2 plus, then 2 plus 0 equals 2, right? 2 plus 0 equals 2, yes. And, and the successor of 2 is? 3. And the successor of 3 is? 4. And so we have our answer. Oh my God, that's so weird. We went backward to go forward? Yeah, that's the cool thing about uh, axioms and like, is that it's just manipulating symbols around. That's what makes it so attractive um, because... If, if Goodell's incompleteness theorem didn't exist, we could just have a math machine, basically. That was what Hilbert was working on and hated Goodell for. <laughs> math wars. Oh, yeah. Math wars are totally a thing. We should do an episode <laughs> on that. <laughs> you actually should. Or do like thievery or plagiarism or whatever. There's probably lots of that, too. So we know that n plus zero equals n, right? Yes. How would we prove that 0 plus n equals n? Probably with another axiom. No, we, we've, no more axioms, no more definitions. We have everything we need. Induction. And the reason why is because the statement is 0 plus n equals n, right? Yes, but we, we proved that 0 plus n equals n just we proved the that, step before. We proved that n plus 0 equals n. We showed that's a definition. Okay, so we proved that n plus 0 equals n. And mm -hmm. now you're saying, why is zero plus n equal to n? Yeah. Okay, because, so how are you going to induce that? So zero plus zero equals zero, right? Mm-hmm. That's we know that because um, we, we just we switch the zero that we're focusing on. Yes, yes, yes. I got it. Okay, and then you're going to just change the order. Yeah, and so uh, well, I mean, not necessarily change the order because anything plus zero is uh, th that thing, right? Yes. So uh, the it, we are now just using the n as the zero that we're adding to the zero that's always I get there. It. Yes. So you just substitute zero for n, right? Yeah. Okay, so, so it works zero for zero. Plus zero equals zero. So now let's suppose that zero plus n equals n. Okay. Now, we know that, that if x equals y, if and only if successor of x equals successor of y, right? Right. 
So that means that if we have 0 plus n equals n, okay. we, then the successor of 0 plus n is equal to the successor of n. Okay. We, and remember that the successor of x plus y is equal to x plus the successor of y? Say that one again. Remember that x plus the successor of y is equal to the successor of x plus y and yes, vice versa? Yes, yes, yes. So what would the successor of 0 plus n be? The successor... <laughs> that's a hard word to say. The successor of n. Zero plus the successor of n. Yes. Which is very important. Sorry, I didn't put the zero because I figured it was, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, zero, you have to okay. be very careful with these. Yes, yes. Okay, zero plus the successor. I can't say that successor of n. There you go. And so now we have the statement zero plus the successor of n equals the successor of n. Okay. So we've proven the statement for the successor of n based on n. Exactly. And now we've proven that zero plus n equals n by induction. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. We're going to prove that the successor of m plus n is equal to the successor of m plus n. Okay. So let's say m is equal to 10. Okay. And n is 5. Yes. We're saying that the successor of 10 plus 5 is equal to the successor of 15. Which is the same thing. Yes. Because... And remember before we would have been saying that 10 plus 6 is equal to the successor of 15. Okay. So we're just reversed order. We just reverse ordered this thing. Yeah. Okay. Before so. it was m plus the successor of n yes. equals the successor of n plus n. But now it's okay. the opposite. Okay. I got it. We're or just, vice versa. We just switched it around. So basically 11 plus 5 is equal, equal to 16. Yeah. Okay. So let's prove it for zero. And let's do induction on n. So the successor of m plus zero is equal to what? m well, plus one. Yeah, the successor of m. Mm -hmm. I'm, oh, I need to use the words, not the one plus Because one. remember we're doing formal, informal uh, stuff. Sometimes when you're doing fractions, you use two divided signs mm -hmm. because you really want to drive home the point that this isn't division. It is something that symbolizes division. Okay. Okay. Think I got it. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's all kind of a little bit new for me, but yeah. Yeah. And of course it's equal to the successor of m. Because uh, the, the, by the axiom, n plus zero equals n, right? Sure. So now we've proven it for n. So now let's prove it. And this one is a kind of an involved one. So the successor of m plus n equals the successor of m plus n. We're going we're, we're to suppose that. We're going to assume it's true for a second. Sure. Wouldn't we already prove it? No, we haven't proved it yet. We're proving it now. Okay, I think I just misunderstood where the successor went. That's okay. Well, successor of m plus n is equal to the successor of m plus n. Got it. Okay. So it, we can, So remember that if x equals y, then the successor of x equals the successor of y? Yes. So that means that we can make, we could set the sides equal to one another using the successor function. Oh, okay. So we're going to work both sides of the equal sign, basically? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So now we have the successor of the successor of m plus n is equal to the successor of the successor of m plus n. Okay. So basically saying that like 1 plus 11 plus 5 is equal to 1 plus 1 plus 15. If m is 10 is n is, and n is 5, for example. I was going to say, okay. I was I just want to make sure if you said 11. Uh, yeah, I got it now. If, it, if, if it's 10 and 5, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So now let's look at the left-hand side. The successor of quantity, the successor of m plus n, end quantity... We, what we can do with that is because we know that the successor of x plus uh, y is equal to x plus the successor of y, right? Yeah. So if we set x to a successor of m, right? Okay, so now we're substituting in? 
Yeah. The, oh, yeah. You always substitute in when you're doing axioms. That, like, oh, this whole time you've been substituting. Right. So we know that. So if the successor of the successor of M plus N, we take that. We know that that's equal to the successor of M plus the successor of N, right? Uh-huh. Because, uh, for example, just to give an example, if M is 10, then the successor of M is what? Uh, oh, wait, a real example, 11? 11. And then if N is 5, then 11 plus 5 is? Well, 16. And, and the successor of 16 is? Is 17. Yeah. And so, and the next line down, we have the successor of M plus the successor of N. And they're the equal because if we set x to the successor of m and then y to n we just move the successor function from the outside of everything to the inside so we have that the successor of m plus the successor of n is equal to what the right hand side was already which is the successor of the successor of m plus n okay so basically you're just pulling off that x to the successor of x and successor of y initially yeah you and just you're move substituting them around. in various things in order to get to that point yeah and now we work on the right hand side on the inside of the successor function we have successor of m plus n right which we've proven is equal to the successor of m plus n yeah so now we have the statement the successor of m plus the successor of n is equal to the successor of the successor of m plus n yeah, this gets a boy. This gets a little tedious with all this like successor stuff. And, oh, it really does. It, and, it, this is it, this kind of math is extremely tedious. Yeah, and I would assume notation is incredibly important. It's visually though. It's well, it's not only important. It's literally the whole thing. The mm. whole thing because um, these can be represented using numbers. For example, are you telling you have me, a number equal to this function? Okay, are are you telling me that before they decided to write all this down, they used to talk? They used to speak math like this? Well, they. I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. Like, for example, uh, like with the words. Yeah, this is the same era where they start. Where I can't remember which mathematician tried to formalize uh, Euclid, uh, because Euclid, you know, his element is like a point is that which has neither length nor breadth. Um, like, it's hard to make that into an axiom. I've tried. It's pretty fun. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Well, that's geometry, though. Oh, yeah. And this is that would be axioms for geometry. Right. And these are axioms for the integers. So in the same way that Euclid defined things right. for his book, this defines things for most for a huge number of integer problems, which is funny. I feel like the easier the the easier the understanding, the harder the proof is to understand, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it's so intuitive that you don't know. You don't really know what you don't really know how to make a statement that's falsifiable. Yeah, because uh, it just seems so obvious that the uh, that the opposite seems to be only the lack of that thing. Exactly, like to say one plus one is two doesn't even seem like there's ever an argument or even a discussion necessary. Yeah, but he, but uh, this allows us to do to talk about the integers in a very very interesting way. Um, there's also axioms for set theory, um, and some of them compete with each other. For example, there's there's the axiom of choice, which says that given an infinite number of sets, you can take one item from each set with a certain property. But if you take the axiom of choice, you can prove that by just cutting up a sphere into different points and moving the parts that you cut up around and then recombining them, you can make two spheres. You never stretch the pieces. You never change the size. Oh, you, that, that is bizarre. Yeah, right? Oh, goodness. Okay. So the Banach-Tarski paradox. I assume that... That obviously, when I mean, they do this for a reason. 
it's just kind of funny if it's if it's not particularly your discipline of study it just seems funny you know what i mean but mm-hmm. i get i get that it has to be done for a purpose well i mean it was done for a purpose for a while again like we don't really most of math now isn't trying to create some overarching all of math kind of thing it's just people solving problems probably because people already did that stuff well they tried to and goodell pro- proved that it's impossible oh okay okay like this is like uh, the Principia Mathematica or Principia Mathematica. I don't know how to pronounce it uh, by Whitehead and Russell. Um, I think on page like 200, they prove that two plus two equals four or one plus one equals two. Yeah. But um, and it just builds up to that. And that was an attempt to codify all mathematics. And people thought that it actually did. But then Goodell was like, nope. Oh, OK. OK. And, and everybody kind of tore their hats in frustration. Tore their hats. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> when they were they were wearing hats. Yeah. What year was this? I mean, this would have been like 1911. Okay, they'd be wearing hats, but not inside. So anyway, now we're going to finally prove what we set out to prove. That M plus N equals N plus M. Finally. So, yeah, right? So M plus zero equals what? M. Yeah, by the rule, N plus zero equals N. Sure. And then we proved, remember the first proof we did was 0 plus n equals n? Yes. So 0 plus m equals m. Mm-hmm. And therefore, m plus 0 equals 0 plus m by uh, the by uh, basically the properties of equality that we define. I was like, is it transitive property-ish? Yeah, because we, I mean, we proved that m plus 0 equals m and 0 plus m equals n, m. So if x equals y and y equals z, then x equals z. That's, that's what the property we're using. Transitive property. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So now suppose that M plus N equals N plus M. That means that the successors are equal, right? Since the thing would be equal. Yes, of course. So, so the successor of M plus N equals the successor of N plus M, right? Right. Now we can break this down on both sides. So the left-hand side, we could change that to M plus the successor of N because we proved that the successor of M, but because there's a rule that the successor of M plus N is equal to M plus the successor of N. Wow, that's really getting tedious to say, isn't it? Right? But we only have one more step and we're done. Okay. Finally, we have M plus the successor of N equals the successor of M, N plus M. So now we're going to look at the right-hand side, the successor of N plus M. We can make the successor function go in the N by the lemma that we proved, Remember we proved S successor of M plus N equals successor of M plus N? Yes. So that means that S of N plus M is equal to successor of N plus M. Yes. And since uh, and so now, since we've proven both sides, we have, since we've done both sides, we have the statement M plus successor of N is equal to the successor of N plus M. Right. And therefore, we have our thing proven by induction. Exactly. Wow. A long induction. Yeah, I mean, this was like, I did. I had this proof in my math four hundred one class, and I remember doing it over and over and over again. Is this just the, because like to get it down right? Because there's like different ways to do some of these parts. Interesting. So they still teach it. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Terence Tao uh, has a very good book on analysis. I can't remember the title right now, but uh, he discusses this in there. Interesting. So it's not ancient. It's not like as if it's not like as if nobody talks about it. It's just oh yeah, it, it, it's just that we're not trying to actively create rules that describe everything anymore. Okay, we're just using rules and understanding them for what they are as human tools. Okay, got it. 
So that was the uh, first problem episode of Breaking Math. And of course, we had on Diane Baca. Um, anything you want to prove? Anything you want to plug? Um, no, I don't. But I do think it's really helpful to see it. Oh, yeah. And if you'd like to see it, you can go to breakingmathpodcast.com slash papers.html and it'll be up there. Awesome. Signing off. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.